0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Thursday, July 22nd. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Pretty eventful day yesterday. Lots of topics floating around college football and also uh, Gamecock land. Going to talk about all of those. Going to talk a little expansion of the SEC. Kind of hit everybody like a ton of bricks yesterday. Going to talk some recruiting rankings process uh, that I know a lot of you Gamecocks are uh, talking about with the release of the new Top 247 yesterday. Uh, Also taking some mailbag questions and also... uh, you know, some other stuff. So we'll have that here uh, directly. First of all, I want to say that the uh, opening portion of the inside the Gamecocks podcast is brought to you by Heritage Digital. Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? You know, the guy that's kind of aloof that doesn't return your phone calls. You're paying him good money, but you're having constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues. And then he looks at you like you're insane whenever you have a question Uh, Does your head hurt from having to deal with those issues? You're worried he's not backing things up. If this describes you and your situation, call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989 or go to heritagedigital.com. They're an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by those pesky IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits, and they do it in a professional manner with a uh, tremendous response time. I, and I think that's the key here, guys. Uh, I think sometimes when you're dealing with IT, you just want answers, you know, because not a lot of us are computer programmers or have the expertise to do it. But Heritage will, and they'll perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your network is working correctly all the time for one low monthly fee. That's right, one, mol- one low monthly fee. With clients from South Carolina to California and all places in between, Heritage Digital has you covered. Again, if you're sick and tired of all the network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital, digital today, 843 664 8989, heritagedigital.com, and get rid of those issues negatively impacting your business once and for all. And they sponsor the opening portion of the Inside the Game Cox podcast. Okay. So. Let's uh let's talk about this. Let's talk about uh Oklahoma and Texas. The news broke from the Houston Chronicle yesterday. Um that Oklahoma and Texas were interested in joining the SEC. Further reporting says that uh they're going to inform the Big 12 as soon as next week that they're not interested in um redoing the the grant of rights for the Big 12, the TV deal, which expires in 2025. And they're expected to inform the Southeastern Conference. They are interested in joining. Um, you know, if this were okay, so, so, so sometimes when stories like this break, you have to sort of look at uh, who's saying what, okay? Um, TV stations, and not all of them, but a lot of them, jump the gun with some stuff like this, and they'll put something up on their website. You remember the Alabama TV stations uh, when Steve Spurrier was the coach at South Carolina at different times reported Spurrier was going to Bama and then Spurrier was going to Auburn, and Spurrier was going neither. It got further down the road with Bama in, in terms of him taking a meeting. He never met with Auburn. Um You know, and, and so sometimes, you know, if it's a local TV station out in Bryan, Texas or somewhere, you kind of go, well, you know, that's not it. If it's a blogger, Or or even some of the reporters that the last time we had conference expansion 10 years ago, they seemed to be all over it and they were wrong. I take it with a grain of salt. But uh, Brent from the Houston Chronicle, uh, you know, if you know anything about newspapers, they they have to kind of go through some checks and balances in terms of uh, confirming things, who's your source, uh, and they have those discussions internally before they would ever go with something like that. Um, This is the Houston Chronicle. I'm not saying they're 100 percent right all the time. Newspapers can be inaccurate, Uh, but I'm saying there's extra levels of fact checking when it comes to big sports news like this. And I'm not, uh, you know, not going to get into this on this podcast. There are some, you know, political articles that are skewed in a certain direction these days uh, one way or the other, depending on the media outlet you read. And these are places like the New York times and Washington post and wall street journal and the big names in journalism. Um, and, and that sucks in my opinion, cause you, you know, you don't get a real true picture. Like, like if I want a real true picture in politics, I'll read this. Uh, it's an app called the hill and it's just straight news. There's no editorial If it's an editorial, they say editorial. Um, but the the big boys or the big names. Don't do that anymore, but that's politics. Sports is a different story. Um, I, I think when you have news like that, that's a, uh, ground shaking kind of deal, you know, they're going to run that through some fact checkers. And then you notice, uh, Texas releases a non-denial Oklahoma releases a non-denial. Greg Sankey says no comment. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz, the Missouri Coast, this morning at uh, SEC Media Day says his horns down gonna be a 15-yard penalty. Um, you know, it, it's uh it, it's something where everybody's kind of walking around with a smile on their face knowing that's gonna happen. Uh and so I checked with a couple of sources that I have. Uh, you know, that are right some of the times. I mean, that they, they, you know, they filled me in on some stuff that I knew was gonna happen. Like I knew, I guess, from the same source that uh Jeremy Pruitt was gonna eventually be fired at Tennessee and they're gonna pin NCA tournament stuff on him. I mean, sorry, NCA violations, NCA tournament. I don't know where my brain's at. Uh NCA violations on him. Um and that was in the works for like weeks, and I didn't think it was gonna happen, but then it did so. Uh, this particular source doesn't doesn't and it, you know and he said this has been going on. He, he spoke to some people at some other big 12 schools that were like, man, what are we gonna do? Uh, all that good stuff. So this has been out there. I'm amazed it stayed this quiet. I mean it is, in this day and age, it's amazing that it stayed this quiet. Um, but the Chronicle went with the story. There's a lot of suspicion, maybe Texas A& m linked it, leaked it to the Chronicle. Um, I wouldn't be surprised because I think the one school in the league that would not want this to happen for sure, without a doubt, would be Texas A&M. You know, they're in the state of Texas. It's a talent rich state. They're just now sort of coming into their own as a program. Uh, and the SEC is a recruiting advantage, you know, when you're recruiting against the Big 12. Now, I'll say this, Oklahoma wins their share of battles against A&M uh, for Texas players and players in general. And you know, I think if Texas were better and not shuffling through coaches, the Longhorns would recruit better. But you know, they've got they've got issues out of Texas right now that I don't I don't know how you solve them I mean, with culture and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, it's not like AM gets everybody, but them being in the SEC plus hiring Jimbo Fisher, plus the success they've had, plus their facilities investment from their stadium right on down to where their players hang. Uh it's immaculate. And uh, they are primed, really, for the first time since the R.C. Slocum era uh, to be a national contender. Uh, I think um, some people are picking A&M to go and uh, win the West this year. So, you know, we'll see. They do not want Texas in – the sec <laughs> and here is why you know people get worried about the uh, south carolina clemson game uh and the dominance that clemson's had i think it's what 71 42 and four now texas leads the a&m series 76 37 and five texas has dominated the aggies over the years um with the exception of like '91, I think this was the Slocum here. I mean, wait a minute, it was. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, '84 to '94, Texas was shuffling through coaches again at this point. A&M won like six in a row, and then Texas won by one point, and then A&M backed that up with four in a row. So ten out of eleven, um, Mac Brown got to town and and, and reversed that. Mac lost three out of his last six to Texas A&M, but, um, you know, and Texas won the last one that they played, and then they haven't played in 10 years. This takes that rivalry back, and it it kind of takes Texas with, uh, you know, the, the attraction of the city of Austin and their brand and their fans and all that, and plops them into the best college football league in the country. Also with Oklahoma and the success they've had uh a so if, if you're a you don't want this to happen everything else the opinions of other schools that kind of thing is speculation uh, i saw somewhere the other day somebody reported missouri was a hard no i don't think so maybe i'm wrong maybe they do end up being a hard no because they're you know missouri didn't leave the big 12 you know, with a, a bunch of warm, fuzzy feelings about the Longhorn Network and the Longhorns anyway. I mean, that that's what facilitated the mass exodus from the Big 12 was the Longhorn Network. And it's like, well, why do you get your own network and we all have to struggle and all this good stuff? And Oklahoma State and, and A&M and Colorado and Nebraska and Missouri left for allegedly greener pastures. I think Missouri and A&M are – probably pretty happy i think colorado's had its moments in the pac 12 although they're definitely not as good as they once were or relevant as they once were and then i think nebraska regrets it every single day they're in the big 10 they don't have anything in common with the big 10 their recruiting base dried up you know bo pelini was there and keeping it above water and he recruited a bunch out of ohio you know so they're basically iowa now um Poor Scott Frost, you know, he's in a tough situation, and and those fans are in a tough situation because, you know, that's one of the – they have one of the best fan bases in college football. You know, they're – if you talk about the great fans across the country who are, like, really good fans, you know, uh, I think you got to say South Carolina, obviously, you guys. Uh, I think you got to say Nebraska. Uh, I think Alabama fans are really good fans. Um, Auburn fans may disagree with me there. Uh, and there are some crazies in there everywhere in the SEC. Uh, I think that, you know, Southern Cal fans are probably – the hardcore ones are really good. Washington fans I've met over the years. Um, but Nebraska's – if I had to rank number one, no offense to you guys, I'd probably rank Nebraska number one. They're, they're just uh, – and, and those of you that are old enough that went out to Lincoln, Nebraska in 1987 when the Gamecocks went out there, you probably know what I'm talking about. Or if you went to the College World Series – uh, in Omaha, in 02 when the Gamecocks played the Huskers in baseball, you know what I'm talking about. I know a bunch of those folks are good folks. Penn State fans are good, too, although we'll, we're going to talk about Penn State here in a minute. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of the situation since they left the Big 12. Now, the Big 12 has been rumored to be falling apart for a long, long time. Uh, I think the ACC – you know, the – the talk about them going to the all the big schools going to the Pac 12 out there was on the table. Um, I think the ACC did a good job of, of after Maryland left of kind of stemming the tide because I think uh, Virginia could have bolted to the Big Ten, uh, maybe some other schools, and that league could have maybe fallen apart had the Big 12 gotten Florida State and Clemson, as was rumored. I can't imagine Clemson in the Big 12, by the way. West Virginia is an outpost as it is. I, that would have been a terrible move for Clemson. But uh, I think the ACC, you know, did a good job. They got the five-game Notre Dame deal. They immediately added Louisville, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're on solid ground, especially if Notre Dame says, hey, we want to join a the league – league, Maybe the Big Ten comes calling, but they're in a contract with the ACC where they have to join that league and they have to join it for other sports or they're in it for other sports. So, you know, that's going to help them if Notre Dame ends up having to join a conference. Don't know. I mean, I think that's another conversation. So what would Texas and Oklahoma being in the SEC do? Now, the talking heads and the scribes, folks out there, of which I'm one, immediately go and look at geography and go, oh, it's never made sense for Missouri to be in the West or the East, since on the map they're in the West, never mind the fact they're closer to Kentucky and Vandy and Tennessee than they are to most of the West schools, mileage-wise. They're kind of in like the SEC North, if you want to get right down to it. But I think Missouri people would love to play Texas and Oklahoma again and You know, they still have – they're trying to get a rivalry going with Arkansas. And, you know, you play LSU. I mean, you you know, you're in the central time zone, um, which I think only two eastern schools are in central, Missouri and Vanderbilt. Um, So it probably makes better sense, you know. Uh, There are no divisions in basketball, so it doesn't really affect basketball. Baseball, this move is going to make the league brutal, even more brutal than it already is. Um, yeah, he played the A and M again if you're Missouri. So that's sort of the, the, the com, you know the common sense thing that a lot of people are, are projecting there is you know Missouri shuffles to the west with Texas and Texas A and M, and Alabama and Auburn come east, and you have two 18 divisions. Now, I agree that is the most logical move, but it doesn't really solve much. Uh, of the issues that they'll have a chance to solve. Number one, you know, there's, there's a situation in the SEC now where, you know, you may go a decade without playing a team in your league. And fans don't like that. And and, and fans, uh, I think in college football these days, get tired of the repetition to a certain extent. That's been my problem with the bowl system. It's not the bowls. It's that you know, boy, for the last, you know, 25 to 30 years, an SEC team's been trouncing down to Tampa. Normally it's an Eastern team or Auburn. I think Ole Miss was in it last year. For the Outback Bowl, how many times can you go to the Outback Bowl and it'd be a special experience? If you're, Even if you're going, you know, and and I've reversed course on this because I didn't understand like, South Carolina goes to the Outback Bowl in 2017 for the first time in six years. In 2012, it was the first time in ten you know, they or, or no, I'm sorry. First time in five, so every five years or so they go. Oh, eight was first time in seven. Um, well, shoot, well, that's not soon, but it gets it gets repetitive. It gets old. Uh, another case in point on the positive: in South Carolina goes to Ole Miss in 2018 for the first time since you know 2008. And five six thousand people go out there. Gamecocks had a great contingent in Oxford for a five hundred team against a five hundred team. So fans will still travel. I think they just want a little variety. And with the way it's set up now, shoot, you don't, you don't really get to go. Uh, you know, get, I mean, South Carolina hasn't been to Alabama since 9 They're not going to go till 2024. It's fifteen years. It's like a Kids that were born uh, the last time Carolina played Bama, they're going into high school. They're getting a driver's license, learner's permit in some states. Uh, and, and a lot of people around the league don't like it. it it's not – I mean, even Dan Mullen has talked about that. Uh, because you have permanent opponents and you have a league that, you know, wants to stay at eight games and you, you, you want to protect Tennessee and Bama and you want to protect Auburn and Georgia and then Florida and LSU – uh made their bed they can lie in it i think they've been trying to get out of that for a while but uh back in 92 when everything happened they said we have to preserve these games it's tradition and i love tradition don't get me wrong don't get me wrong south carolina ends up getting mississippi state and arkansas as their first two perms and then uh then it's just arkansas and they want to do the Arkansas-Missouri thing. Now it's Texas A&M. The timing of those things has not been good because in the 90s, Mississippi State was really good. Uh, Arkansas was really good, like under Houston Nutt during the 2000s. Gamecocks had to play them. Finally, things turned. Gamecocks started beating the Razorbacks, so but then they go off the schedule and you get Texas A&M. Uh, and I, I want to explain the history here, too. A lot of people are like Ray Tanner, you know, the Ray Tanner crowd. Which, by the way, Ray Tanner, through all this, and Harris Pastides, they're going to have to, you know, make some decisions as far as are they going to support this or not What's be- and do what's best for South Carolina. You know, you want to do what's best for the league, but you always want to do what's best for South Carolina. Now, what's the opinion there? We're going to get into that. Um, but Ray Tanner or Eric Hyman won. I think it was Tanner because it was right 2012-ish when they were doing the schedule. <clears throat> May have been Hyman, but I think Tanner was part. You know, no, this was 2012, so it was it was Hyman. It was Hyman. Uh and his group. Um, so they did this. So, you know, uh, I'm saying this because a lot of people blame Ray Tanner because A&M's on the schedule. That wasn't his decision. I had to get my my, my uh, calculations right. Tanner left summer. Tanner left baseball summer of 2012 after the Arizona series. Hyman left for A&M. So Eric Hyman and his group did this. And when they were putting the schedule together, because Missouri and A&M came in like breakneck speed. So Florida and LSU, and if you could read the history of those administrations talking, you know, against each other, with reschedulings and all that. And, you know, I, I think LSU felt like, you know, why the hell are we playing Florida every year? You know, they're tough, Urban Meyer and all that. And, you know, they didn't know, I think that Muschamp was going to tank and, you know, Florida was still a pretty relevant team in 2012. Um, And, and you know, and then why would Florida want to play LSU every year? You know, they, they'd probably like to play some Ole Miss or somebody like that. Uh, so sorry so they came up with this plan all right Florida will take Texas A&M LSU will take South Carolina South Carolina at the time said no 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 no, no. <laughs> uh, and at the time South Carolina was a top 10 team but I think LSU realized you know we, we don't really ever lose to South Carolina so you know that's a that's a that's a better deal for us than playing the Gators every year. So, you know, I uh, I, I think the Game Gamecocks kind of at the time made the right decision. It probably doesn't sound like it because they're zero and seven against Texas A and M. But at the time, keep in mind Texas A&M's A and is a seven and six team coming from the Big Twelve. Uh, who knew that? You know, the matchup would be bad the first year. And even those other Sumlin years, the game was close. I mean, the game's been close uh, with the exception of the last two years. Last year was ugly, obviously. Last two years have been ugly with A&M. But you look at that and you you look at kind of who LSU is every year, big, strong team on both lines of scrimmage. I think LSU, when you looked at their roster every year and you probably compared it to A&M's at the time, it's, you know, you're obviously going to choose Texas A&M. And so they did. And they worked that out because I don't think A&M wanted to play Florida every year either. You know, going in in 2011, you think that's two years removed from the Gators being Tim Tebow, Urban Meyer, one of the best teams in college football. Their recruiting wasn't slowing down under much champ. So I think if you're A&M, you're like, South Carolina works. They come up with a trophy or whatever. which Nobody's ever seen – and that's the permanent opponent. Um, I know it's a pain in the behind to play Texas A&M every year now, and it's it's a it's a negative because it's a tough tough game because they're good. Um, you know, and so you know that's a tough deal now. But the right move was made. So the point is, Carolina with the permanent opponent thing, it never really works out. These these teams tend to cycle up when they get the Gamecocks as their permanent opponent. But at the time, you know, you'd probably rather be stuck with AM than stuck with LSU, and that's exactly what was going to happen. So for those of you that never think South Carolina gets any clout with the SEC or, or wins battles with the SEC, they definitely won that one. And that wasn't Ray Tanner. That was Eric Hyman and, and those folks. So that's how the A&M thing got on the schedule. And so, you know, Carolina, starting in 2014, played both former Big 12 teams every year. Uh, and, of course, they played Missouri in 2012, 2013. So that's how we got there with with playing Texas A&M and, and all that. So it brings me back to what's going to happen. And the, the prevailing thought with the talking heads and, and, and the, the scribes and all that, like I said, is Alabama and Auburn, like I said, goes to the east. Missouri goes to the West, Texas, Oklahoma go to the West. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> and I talked to a source that said it's not going to happen uh, based on what he's hearing, but he also said, Hey, it's all very preliminary. Um, you know, and, and that does create problems. 18 divisions, unless you go to nine conference games, which I don't think anybody really wants to do. You're still seven division, one permanent, one rotating and, and you know, of course, Alabama, Tennessee would be solved, and it's not a permanent opponent. You can make LSU, Bama's permanent opponent. And you give Auburn, Ole Miss, or LSU, or somebody, Arkansas, A and M, whoever. Um, so you'd solve some of those. You know, Florida and LSU still make them play, but uh, I, I just you know, and geographically it makes sense. I just don't. I just don't know. You know, I, I just don't. I don't know if that gives you the flexibility that you need. Maybe you go nine games in a 7-2 format. I don't think the SEC wants to go to nine games. Um, so here's what I heard about the divisions, though, and, and I, I'll i say this, is that Bama doesn't want to leave. LSU doesn't want Bama to leave because they want to protect that game. That's, that's a primetime game just about every year. Uh, Even when LSU is not all that good or Bama loses – I mean, that's still a huge, huge game every single year, Alabama-LSU. They don't want to lose that. Um, And and I don't think Bama cares. I don't think Bama cares who they play. I I think their fans and their alum boosters and alums and administration and Coach it. I I think they just want a better schedule. And they've scheduled that way in the future, but that's a long way down the road. So playing Texas and Oklahoma every year for them, I think they'd love it to go west. So what I heard was the two Mississippi schools. Uh, could come east. Now, before you Gamecock fans start getting excited about that, because, you know, I, Ole Miss, Mississippi State are good programs. I think, you know, they've had just as much success as South Carolina – you know, Mississippi State's one-one division. Ole Miss has had some really good teams under Hugh Freeze. They recruit well. That's not; those aren't programs though that you look at and you go, "My God, we have to play Alabama and Auburn every year." <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you know, you kind of look at them as as a probably better than on average. And I'm saying on average. Uh, I, I'm fully aware of the struggle South Carolina's had against Kentucky, but you. Sort of look at them like a, probably a little bit above Kentucky, Missouri, Vandy, probably not up to Tennessee's level historically, although Tennessee's been pretty bad for a long time. Uh, very little success for the Vols. Um, but, but you look at it and you go, that's manageable. That that doesn't necessarily – that doesn't sink the division. I mean, of course, somebody pointed out today and they're, you know, on the message board on the bigspur.com that, you're not going to have a division with Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and Texas A&M. And if you're Arkansas and Missouri, you're like, geez, Liz, that's going to be brutal. Um, and so I don't know that that's the case. And then that still doesn't solve the fact that, you know, you're of your rotating opponents and teams don't play other teams. So what some people are projecting, because it's a, this is the first time we've had a 16-team conference, is pods. And one good plan, I think, on the SEC Network – I think it was SEC Network was you you have the four pods of four teams, and you kind of skin it like the NFL a little bit because you you have years where you're completely matched up with another pod. So, in other words, you know, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, Florida, Kentucky matched up with Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Alabama, Auburn. Some years, some years they'll get the A&M, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, or whatever. And then, so you say, all right, so, you know, maybe it's Gulf, Central, West, East. Gulf plays East this year. That the team that finishes with the best record in that of the, with those two pods is going to Atlanta. And the team with the with the other two. And then you rotate it around. Then everybody plays everybody within a four-year period. That solves a lot of problems. First of all, it doesn't shove Alabama and Auburn into the Eastern Division. Because I'm going to tell you this, South Carolina isn't going to want that. Kentucky, Vandy, Tennessee certainly aren't going to want that. Tennessee's has to deal with Alabama every year as it is. Um, I don't think Georgia and Florida would want that. You know, Georgia right now, sort of their plan is to – become the Alabama of the East, you know, Florida, I don't think would want to play Bama every year and Auburn every year. They, they used to play Auburn every year. Um, I'll tell you who would love it, It's Auburn. Auburn would like to go. Uh, I think they've said that over the years though, with Bama staying behind in the West in mind, <laughs> just to, just to, just to be honest. So If they're taking Bama with them, would they still want to be in the East? You know, they say historically they've got, you know, bigger rivalries with Tennessee and Florida than they do with, like, LSU and Arkansas, obviously, and all those. I don't know, you know. So if you're South Carolina, what you're basically hoping is it doesn't come to eight teams and they shove Bama and Auburn over, that they do the pods or they move the Mississippi schools, which still doesn't solve any problems at large, still makes the Western division the most brutal deal in college football. I don't know that it's fair to those schools out there, you know, even at, even a Texas or Texas A&M. I mean, that's just, that's a whole different level of Oklahoma. And that's a whole different level of competition when you're talking about that. Um, the pod thing I think would be the way to go. I, I definitely think that's, uh, that's a good deal, you know. South Carolina's in a pod. Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, Vanderbilt are the two things I've seen. Um, I don't think South Carolina have any complaints with that. You got to play Georgia and Florida every year anyway, uh, and then you mix it up with the rest of the schedule. So, those are the questions that need to be answered. And and I and I think you know, like I said, Ray Tanner, Paris Pastides, and I'll remind everyone that any kind of expansion talk like this is not you know the athletics department or the coaches. This is the school. This is the presidential level folks, the presidential suite. Uh, they're the ones that are going to make the decision. And um, you know, that, that's, that's just kind of how college athletics, when you make a move like this works, it's not necessarily your AD that goes out and says, Hey, we want to be in this league. No, nah, it doesn't happen. Um, the AD is responsible for managing the transition, which is why I'll, Never think that the late, great King Dixon, who was a great Gamecock and a great player, passionate supporter of the university, uh, I'll never think he's not the worst AD South Carolina's ever had because the way he hired and the way he sort of budgeted going into the best conference in in America, you know, was was a little lackluster and put the program behind, you know. And and so – you know, I think you need all your arrows in the quiver if you're going to make a transition to the SEC, and he didn't do that. Um, but it's the presidents that make it happen. And so Harris Pastides, I think, I think if you're him and you're talking about the Gamecocks and you know, sh- should you let a And M or Oklahoma and Texas in, uh, and I and I think on the conference level, Greg Sankey is probably salivating. I mean, this is a no-brainer. Uh, in terms of making the – you know, leaving the other conferences in the dust because, you know, outside of the big fish, Notre Dame, I mean, who's the – you know, the Big Ten is going to have problems getting Notre Dame. Uh, Who's the Big Ten going to go get? Kansas and Connecticut? Cincinnati? No, that's not going to happen. And so – you know, I, I, I think I think if you're Harris Bestides and, and you're the president of Georgia and, and whoever else, you, you you have to kind of think for yourself a little bit. And you have to understand too that member schools could torpedo this by aligning with A and M easily. It's it's you you can't have four against. You got to have no more than three against it. I personally think right now, if, if you did a straw poll, it would be thirteen to one. But if they're talking about shoving Alabama and Auburn into your division in football, um, I, you know, and, and saying we're going to have eight team divisions, and we're still not going to solve the problem of not playing everybody, you know, that's a model that I think I would be like, wait a minute, I, I don't know that I'm for that, you know, even with the money, you're 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 all of a sudden basically building the big 12 over again out west and and shoving two really good football teams into the east and you know maybe that's what they want i don't know i I just i don't think it benefits georgia or florida to have that happen you know and and even tennessee you know tennessee probably wants to come back sometime you know i mean you know bottom line south carolina has ambitions kentucky has ambitions you know you, you don't want to sit there and you know the Alabama dynasty is not slowing down anytime soon, and Auburn's a pretty good program too. So, you know you're going to make it even tougher on some of these schools, and and I just don't think I just don't think that's fair. So that's the deal. That's the deal right there, um, and so. You start thinking about it, you know that, that, that's kind of what South Carolina needs to do, is protect South Carolina, but also do what's right for the league. Now, why is this coming up? And, and I've seen this in a lot of places. The unwritten rule. Well, Kentucky's agreed to block Louisville, and South Carolina's going to block Clemson, and Georgia's going to block Georgia Tech, and Florida's going to block Florida State. And, and I do believe there was an unwritten rule there. Uh, I don't know that they ever extended that to Texas A&M, to be honest maybe they did uh legally there's there's you know <laughs> uh, if you're am I think you're kind of feeling a little bamboozled uh, honestly but you know I, I don't know that everybody got together and said all right we'll block Texas too and we'll all have you know this will all be heavy probably because Texas Am hadn't played Texas and it's probably out of sight out of mind and you know quite frankly the the pettiness that went on at those two programs when that happened they deserve it and, uh, you know, A&M's been the one that's been turning down playing. So I'm not uh, – I don't feel too sorry for them. And I like most Aggies and have respect for their program and their traditions and all that. I'm, I'm not an Aggie hater. I just – I don't feel sorry for them. Um, so that's number one. Number two, okay, w- when the leagues expanded previously, it was about footprint. In other words – they weren't going to go out now to Florida state or a Clemson or a Georgia tech, or, you know, even though those schools fit, you know, it's about saying, all right, we need more television sets because we need cable fees because that's how we're making revenue. And it's been lucrative. Uh, you know, Texas is a big state. The Aggies have a big fan base, you know, all the markets, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, Galveston, Lubbock, Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, Um, big markets, lots of Aggies, every single one of them. Okay. And, you know, you're you're looking for that. Well, last few years, cord cutting has happened. If you've read uh, anything about ESPN and the money they've lost with the cord cutting and the cable fees and all that, you know, people are sort of going to more of an a la carte style of entertainment consumption. I never thought I'd cut the cord because I enjoyed, you know, all the channels and stuff. And I have, and I haven't looked back. I have YouTube TV is kind of my main thing. And then I have Netflix and uh, HBO. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's changed entertainment, including sports. Even though sports is a live broadcast, And there's always going to be a spot, I think, for live television broadcast in in sports in general. Uh, You notice next year, South Carolina's first game of the season is on the streaming app against Eastern Illinois. And every school in the SEC has at least one game that you have to stream. Streaming's the future. Well, with streaming, it's not about television households and expanding your footprint. It's about content. And brands and getting as many eyeballs on your content as possible, uh, to plop down the $5.99 a month or whatever for the streaming service. It, it's 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 basically like you know Netflix. Netflix wants to go have good movies and TV shows, they invest a lot of money in it. Well, the same thing with uh college sports media these days. Uh, And if you look at it during the pandemic, this was a this is a big deal. Disney, which owns 80 percent of ESPN, they were kind of taking a bath with the ESPN losses with core cutting and stuff. They didn't really have much of a streaming strategy. You know, they put some stuff on ESPN Plus, blah, blah, blah. And you look at it. So Disney also during the pandemic, their theme park business, And if you know anything about Disney, they're two cash cows over the years have been um, the theme parks and ESPN with, with the cable rights and all that. They make a ton of money off that. And so those are closed on top of that. The movie studios are closed because of COVID. What are you going to do? And I followed this because I own a little Disney stock. And uh, Well, here's what they did. They uh, they launched Disney+. Plus. They finally got into streaming quickly. And it made up a ton of money on their bottom line. So you notice since then... They still have, they bought the rest of Hulu streaming service. uh, And also ESPN Plus, the ESPN streaming service, has a lot of robust content now. It's totally different. It used to just kind of be so so. You're like, eh. Um, It's totally robust. And they're putting more games on it, live broadcast. So streaming is the way of the future, and that doesn't depend on footprint as much as it depends on just sheer numbers. And if you're talking about schools that have huge followings, there's no bigger following maybe in the country outside of Notre Dame than Texas. Uh, and I'll tell you this, Mike Morgan and I were on the radio in Columbia back in 09. Uh, when Texas played Alabama Saban's first championship out in the Rose Bowl, we got the voice of the Crimson Tide basketball team on uh, down in Columbia on the box or I think whatever that show was called at the time. And uh, he's talking and he's like, well, Bama fans are probably traveling out there in droves. And he's like, they are, but you know, this is nothing compared to Texas. He's like, I talked to the Rose Bowl committee people and they said, you know, even though this is Alabama football and, Alabama hadn't played for a national title in 17 years. Texas had won one four years earlier. It was six to one with plane requests, ticket requests, travel accommodations, longhorns over Crimson Tide. So, you know, and and being kind of in the internet business and monitoring Texas websites over the years, they're huge. They say everything's bigger in Texas. That's true. Um, so you have a massive following you're adding there. And then Oklahoma is a national brand as well. So it's much more now with this expansion thing. I want to explain this to people because people are like, well, why would they double up on the footprint? You already got the state of Texas. Yeah. With cable and stuff, but you know, they're not interested in Texas so much because they're in Texas. They're interested in Texas and Oklahoma because they're iconic brands that have large national followings or, you know, yeah, probably national following. You could say that about Texas and Oklahoma. Not like Notre Dame has a national following, but uh, you know, you add them to the mix, that's a lot more it's a lot more value you create to your broadcast partners in the streaming space. A lot more value. And so that's why this is happening, and this that's why this is attractive. And and this next round of expansion is going to be much more about that rather than footprint. So you know, that's the deal, and uh, that's why it's probably gonna <laughs> probably gonna go down, folks. And you know, just uh, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm you know the South Carolina thing. I, I think there's a there's a way to kind of uh, to where the Gamecocks aren't really negatively impacted. Uh, I think the worst case scenario for the Gamecocks would be, like I said, they shove Bama and Auburn in the East for football. They have 18 divisions. That really solves nothing. And it pisses a lot of people off, <laughs> not just at South Carolina. Um, you know, so I, so I think that, you know, at the same time, you know, you're going to make the 12-team playoff. You're going to have to beat some good teams, and so you shouldn't run and hide. It's just, you know, you know, Bama's going to put a lid on the Eastern Division, I, I, I think. You know, uh, nothing against Georgia. You know, I, I, I still think Bama's roster year in and year out with the way they've recruited for over a decade, and the way they develop players and the way they evaluate and that whole process of the system and Nick Saban, you know, they're still a cut above of everybody else. Look at how talented Ohio State was last year, (laughs) 52-24. You know, Ohio State's a pretty good football team, 52-24. And that happens. They don't win every year. They don't win it every year. Sometimes they run into a good Clemson team or – they lose to LSU and Auburn in the regular season, and that happens because those teams are good too. But uh, there's not been a dynasty like this in college football, you know, in, in our lifetimes, in our, in, in my opinion. This is like UCLA basketball in the 60s and 70s, you know. They don't win it every year like UCLA, but they they're there every single year, and that's hard to do. So, I, I, you know, I, you know, football kind of drives the boat here. Um, obviously, no, like I said, no divisions in basketball. You know, baseball, you know, you see what happened. Baseball kind of lends itself more to pod play anyway than division play. But, uh, you yeah, know, we'll see kind of how they structure that. I don't think the league gets easier with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league. Do you? Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think that would be the overwhelmingly negative thing, because if you're South Carolina right now, you know, you're looking up and you're saying, well we got to get back toward the top of the Eastern Division. Well, who do you have to beat? Well, you got to beat Missouri, you got to beat Kentucky. You got to beat Tennessee, it's been down for over a decade. You got to beat Vanderbilt and then you take your shot at Florida and Georgia every year. And Florida's not always going to be up. Georgia's probably going to be up for a while. But, you know, South Carolina beat Georgia a couple of years ago. So in one game situation, you can get there. And you can get back to Atlanta. If you have to go through Auburn, Bama, Georgia, Florida every year, I don't know, and Tennessee and Kentucky and Missouri, that's, that makes Shane Beamer's job even harder. If you go to pods, you know, I, I think it kind of becomes a new thing where, yes, the schedule is probably going to be a little tougher every year, but you also, you know, you can win a 14 pod probably easier than an 18 division. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so there's something there, and then that helps with the playoffs and all that good stuff. So that's what you gotta look out for if you're South Carolina. Now they send the Mississippi's over. Like I said, I don't think it solves much. I think the Eastern Division's saying, Yeah, come on, great. And then you have a ridiculous West. Um, and that's a that's a scenario I heard, you know. So, you know, there you go. Um, you know, because I you know, and with that too, you know, you, you kind of get Gosh, the division with Bama, AM, Texas, Oklahoma, LSU, Auburn. You know, I'm sure Auburn people wouldn't be thrilled about it at all. But I don't think Alabama and LSU care. I don't I don't think they're scared of Texas and Oklahoma at all. I think they're happy to have the bigger games on the schedule. And even though AM is starting to rise, I don't think LSU and Bama are much concerned about Texas A and M either. So there's something to consider there. I, I do think Auburn, Arkansas, and Missouri, you know, Missouri probably wants to go west anyway. Boy, that would that would really hurt Missouri and Arkansas. Oh, God lord. Uh, but but Arkansas also too. They would probably be happy to get the game with Texas back. Oklahoma's a border state, you know. Arkansas competed just fine against Texas and Texas A&M when they were in the Southwest Conference. You know, way back in the day, they have a lot in common. So, so maybe, maybe they don't complain. Auburn, I think would complain. mean, Auburn would want to go to the East, but uh, you know, so 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 if that happened, that'd be fine. Pods happen. I think it's fine for South Carolina, Bama, and Auburn come East. I think you got to really think about it. I think Georgia's got to think about it. Florida's got to think about it, and all that. <clears throat> and what I think will happen is they're probably modeling the thing right now, different scenarios. And they'll say before they even vote, hey, guys, here's here's what we're thinking in terms of this. And they'll come to some acceptable agreement. Uh, you know, uh, I think from the standpoint of some good road trips, you know, Austin, Texas is pretty cool. Uh, I've never been to the state of Oklahoma. I know Norman's in kind of an Oklahoma City for good things about Oklahoma. Uh, and it's, you know, iconic brand of college football. Who wouldn't get excited about South Carolina playing uh, at Daryl K. Royal Memorial stadium in Austin or at uh, whatever the stadium in, in Norman's called. Gosh, something field. Hang on. I will look it up. Oh, Oh, football stadium. Gaylord family. Football State, Memorial, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. Hmm. It used to be Owen Field. Okay, that's where I'm – it got renamed. So, you know, 80,000-seat stadium, it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to be a pretty cool deal uh, to go out there. And South Carolina won't have to go out there every year. So, you know, other sports, Oklahoma's pretty much a beast in basketball. So is Texas men's basketball. Texas and women's basketball is getting better. Obviously, South Carolina put them out this year, trying to roll through the sports here. Texas is elite in college baseball. Gamecocks found that out going we out to Austin this year, and they went to, they went to Omaha. I, I think it just makes a on SEC sick in baseball. I just <laughs> may as well rename the College World Series the – SEC Pac-12 invitational with the occasional ACC team that breaks through because that's how good that league's going to be. It's going to be interesting. So, all right, so that's all I know about all that. Um, Getting on to other stuff, and this is probably, you know, this is probably something I should have mentioned at the outset. You know, Bobby, and I I, I hate that this Texas-Oklahoma stuff broke yesterday because the news came across about Bobby Bowden before and, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, Bobby Bowden's ninety two, ninety one years old. I've read two different ages. I think 91. Terminal condition, so he's not going to be with us very much longer. And uh, I, I want to say this, and, you know, Bobby Bowden was a legit, you know, Christian human being. Uh Mark Rick talks about that. And uh, I'll tell you this, I've met a lot of people, you know, just sort of here and there. And I'm not talking about my friends, you know, I've got friends that are coaches and players and stuff. And, you know, they're, they're kind of in a different category, but just people I've met over the years um, here and there, the, the three most legit people out there that are, you know, that I've met and, I'm not, this is nothing against anybody else I've met. Uh, as far as living Christianity and living for God and being legit, legit about it, you know, nothing fake about it. It's Mark Rick, um, Tim Tebow, and, and John Smoltz. And three of the most genuine guys I've ever met in my life Bobby Bowden obviously led Mark Rick to God, to Christ, uh, if you're a Christian. You know what that means. So I have no reason to doubt his legitimacy. Uh, College football also, you know, owes him a lot. You know, football in the state of Florida owes him a lot. You know, he had the vision to see the Florida State job. He was at West Virginia, and he had the vision to see, hey, that Florida State job is going to blow up. You know, Florida State was sort of an emerging team. Florida had always struggled – Miami, good at times, bad at times. Almost dropped the sport. Um, he had the vision to see, hey, this 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 deal is going to work, and he built one of the biggest powerhouses in college football. And if there been a playoff while he was the coach at Florida State, he'd probably have more than two national championships uh, because they ended up being a lot of those years the best team, but they would lose to a Miami or something like that. And uh, inevitably have to go to just another bowl and try to win. So that's um, that's kind of his impact. You know, through the football before a lot of coaches were, uh, really genuine guy, and your heart goes out to his family. Now I know Terry Bowden a bit. I used to be on his radio show down in Orlando when he was out of coaching. Uh, another tremendous guy. Never met Tommy. Uh, even when he was at, uh, Clemson, I didn't get a chance to meet him, but, uh, your heart just goes out to their family and their friends and all the lives that, uh, Bobby Bowden's touched over the years. Um, you know, Godspeed to him, uh, and, and you got to pray for his family. So that was sad news yesterday, you know, uh, and then Oklahoma and Texas South they're joining the SEC. So they don't, you know, it's just one of those things, but, um, so that's that, uh, moving forward and we have some um uh i'm going to go ahead and uh, it, this is a, a question from the i help consulting mailbag i'm going to go ahead and tell you about i help consulting uh this is different from heritage digital heritage digital is the uh it people so if you're running slow you got to deal with the hostile it guy that think you know makes you feel like an idiot talks above your head rolls his eyes go go hook up with Matt, heritagedigital.com that's the guy you go to now your business and that's you know both of these are for business owners and i know there's many of you out there please support these businesses uh and it can save you money and hassle now if you if you're looking across the broad spectrum of your business and looking at expense whether that's credit card processing i've had to deal with that before internet uh, in other words, like what you pay to Comcast or whoever for internet service, um, health insurance for your, your people, uh, or really anything else, you know, 401k, you know, you, you got all those business expenses, paper clips, perhaps, uh, I help can help you find your business, the most savings without sacrificing your business's quality. That's important. And look, if I help can't save you money, uh, with your business, you don't pay them anything, and uh, it's no cost to go get a free estimate. So call or text my good friend Daniel Owens at IHELP, 843 372 5713, or visit IHELP Consulting.com to schedule a perfectly free consultation. That number again, 843 372 5713. IHELP Consulting. How can I help you? I did mention iHelp is Gamecock-owned and operated. Daniel's a Gamecock. Matt, who I mentioned for Heritage Digital, he's a Gamecock. All these people are Gamecocks. So support Gamecock. Support your fellow Gamecocks, folks. Uh, Again, Daniel at iHelp. 843-372-5713. The sponsor of the iHelp Consulting Mailbag and the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Um, So I wanted to read that because... Some of this is like what we were going to talk about. It bleeds into the mailbag because I got some questions about it. Then I got another, I think, mailbag question that's independent of this. Um, Justin says, It happened again where a guy signed and went down to the rankings. Last time I asked you, you said it didn't happen much, but it's happened almost every time. What's the deal? Okay. I'll explain this. Uh, and I had a big explanation on the Big Spur about it today for our members. Okay. Uh, Keenan Nelson Jr., obviously, dropped about a hundred and something spots out of the top two forty-seven. Uh, did not lose a fourth star as the lowest four star. Uh, my deal with this was this, I talked to somebody the other day, I'm not going to say who, uh, about his ranking. I was like, you know, I know you guys are talking about dropping him probably, you know, considering Ryan Brubaker dropped right after he committed and, Emory Floyd, and, you know, those were guys that had offers from in-state schools and in-state schools backed off or whatever. You know, you don't want to make it look like you're going to catch some stuff if uh, every time a kid from out of state that has offers that the other school fills up or doesn't want him anymore or whatever, you know, he, his ranking drops because what you're doing is essentially pitting one program's opinion against the other and siding with the one. And so I was told, yeah, I don't think he's going to drop. We don't like to drop guys, all that good stuff. I got an email that uh, is common. They send it out, and they, they, the, our rankings team at Twenty Four Seven Sports does explanations. Uh, so look through this email, you know, and I'm like, well, let's see if he dropped. There was no explanation on there. Uh, rankings get released. He drops a hundred spots. Um, You know, apparently it's about his speed, his 40-time, and there was some negative feedback from Penn State. Um, And Penn State's got a good defensive backs class, and maybe they filled up. Maybe they just didn't want him. Uh, Here's what I said in my feedback about Nelson as a prospect, and I've never seen him in person. Uh, Obviously, in person at some point and on film at some point and athletically at some point, he impressed a lot of people to run up the offers he did. Some guys don't progress, though. Um, I have questions about a 200-pound corner from Philadelphia. Uh, You know, is he going to be fast enough to play, you know, in the SEC, all that good stuff? He's already 200 pounds. How much bigger is he going to get? There's questions. That's fine. What I would have done, though, is moved his projected position from corner to safety because South Carolina is not even saying he's definitely a corner. He's an all of the above, right? Um. And so that's fair. That's what the school that he's committed to is is, is taking him as, is just a general DB, okay? So move him to safety. If you have to drop him, drop him down to the 150 to 175 range. And then watch his film and, you know, heck, maybe maybe he's one of those guys that topped out too early. Uh, Maybe he doesn't have, um, you know, that high of a ceiling. Maybe he's a three-star guy. You know, all those things are possibilities. But, you know, I would wait and look and watch the film. Well, it didn't happen. They just dropped it without an explanation that I could have passed along to you guys uh, to start with and to let you know, to let you know. And, um, you know, all right, brilliant take from Jordan Rogers of the sec network tank bigsby is the best running back in the sec and i don't think it's close i don't know i would probably rank tank number one but i don't know that it's not close i don't know Tank's awfully good though we'll see how good marshawn lloyd is this year by the way because that may be a different conversation once we get to next season um and then, of course, I know people are out there screaming, Kevin Harris, Kevin Harris, Kevin Harris, and that, that's fine. I, I don't know that I will put Kevin above Tank. But, um, you know, maybe. We'd have to see. But, uh, you know, so so that was the whole thing with the Nelson thing. I, I was just like, wow. All right, so the other guys that dropped, Braden Davis dropped from a 91 to 89, which I think was dumb uh, in terms of uh, – rushing to judgment on the guy i'm gonna take that back it wasn't dumb i get it uh i just would probably let that ride a little bit because the kid is six 215 he's got a big arm he can run he's smart you start hearing all this good feedback about him um and i say dumb and i'm not i'm not talking about anybody that works with the rankings being dumb at all i mean i've I would say that about myself if I did, and I tell you guys sometimes I do dumb things. That's why I use the word dumb. Uh, Maybe we'll call it premature. Okay, because I don't—I'm not attacking anybody here. Uh, But he moved down, but that was before he committed and all that. ESPN—what caused him to drop more recently? ESPN dropped him from 39th in the country to 64th. Uh, I don't know what rivals has him at. And so he dropped 25 spots in ESPN's ranking. So that that brought his composite score down a little bit. And you, you guys, please understand, too, there's a big difference between 24-7 sports rankings and 24-7 sports composite. 24-7 sports rankings are like one-third of the composite. So if, if ESPN makes a move or Rivals makes a move or whoever, it impacts the composite. Uh, that was the same thing with Emory Floyd and Ryan Brubaker. Both of those guys – were eighty eights and eighty nines for twenty four seven before that? Well, long before they committed, they had dropped Brew Baker to three. I think Rivals has him as a four, uh, and the other networks dropped him. So that's not twenty four seven sports. Uh, now, did they have those guys too low? Did they, you know, why did they drop them initially? Those are all good questions, but they didn't drop them because you know, right after they committed to South Carolina the composite went down right after they committed South Carolina, which sort of says this. Maybe there is a, you know, lack of, I don't want to say respect, but I um, you know, say some offers mean more than others. Maybe maybe that's the case. I don't know. I, I didn't realize Penn State had this wonderful evaluation track record. Um, maybe they do. Uh, I I, I promise you this, with defensive backs, I don't really care what people think about Emory Floyd and Keenan Nelson. Torian Gray's done it for 10 years, and I I wouldn't care where Torian Gray was coaching. You know, if if he says the guy can play, I believe him. He did it for 10 years at Virginia Tech, multiple years at Florida. There were even guys at Florida that they took, Trey Dean out of Georgia I think is one of them, that – uh, Must champ and T Rob didn't really want, and kid ended up being all all freshman all SEC as a corner when a lot of people thought he was a safety. You know, so uh, you know, <laughs> I trust Tori and Gray with the D backs, and I, and I think people should, you know, if you're going to take feedback, I'm sure you know his opinion should should matter, you know, weight wise, really. It should. There's no question about it. Um, But that's more of an industry thing when you're talking about composite. You know, uh, that's not something that's controlled at 24-7 sports. Uh, You know, what I'm disappointed in uh, is the Keenan-Nelson drop. When it happened, I'm disappointed in the fact that our site, which is one of the biggest in the network, uh, did not get the courtesy of even a heads up or explanation via email, but they were certainly worried about all these other quote unquote name brand schools getting told about their commits. Uh, I guess somebody that whoever sends that out doesn't look at the numbers or doesn't let the numbers or size of site guide them. They're just more interested in brands or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the motivation was. It may have just been a, an oversight, a mishap. Still, you combine all that together, and you see why I'm, I'm not too happy uh, with that. I'm disappointed, and and I'm like I said, I, I love 24/7 Sports. I, I, our site's been there since the beginning. It'll continue to be there. Uh, we have uh, really good relationships with the people that uh, I guess matter in terms of taking care of our site, making sure our guys are okay, uh, meeting with us monthly about the big spur and what's going on you know great relationships with all those guys uh some of these guys and it's not brian doan before you guys go after brian doan i've known brian doan for years i think he was in an unfortunate situation because you know he's got to defend it because it's kind of his territory and you know but but you have to understand rankings are a group decision you know and i'm not i'm not saying that uh that Brian wasn't responsible for it at all. I mean, I'm just saying, I know Brian, Brian does a lot of good work. You know, it was surprising to me that that happened. And there's other people in those meetings and other people that are kind of pushing the, you know, pushing the, the whatever. And so not talking about him, some of those folks, I don't know, never worked with them, no of them, no of them pretty well. Now some of them I do know, and I do know them well. You know, uh, there's, you know, two or three guys in particular I know I can call and talk to, and, and maybe I should start doing that more. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was just a disappointing thing. As a site owner, Red doesn't like it either. Uh, as someone that's done evaluations as what um, what the deal is with that, and so I, and I think that it it hurts twenty four seven with a very large fan base on their network. So that's um, yeah, this wasn't good. So hopefully, when you move forward, you know, you're not going to see players drop right away. Uh, I did want to explain some of that is because of composite and other networks making moves. And I also said this, you know, you want to know who I. I think could be four stars that aren't uh, in the class. And this is nothing against anybody else. Anthony Rose, uh, Felix Hickson's a guy I'd stand on the table for all day long. Uh, I want to see Nick and in War film before I go any further, but if his film's as good as his camp, he's a no brainer. Uh, Landon Sampson from Texas, the receiver uh, I think offer list is holding him back. And then case Henry, the offensive tackle out of Marietta Walton's probably the best, probably the best offensive lineman in the class. So Felix Hicks is really the one I don't understand because I've I've evaluated D-tackles a long time, and that kid's really good, but, you know, we'll see. So that's all the talk about rankings, uh, you know, continuing on the I-help consulting inbox. Mark says, good morning, JC. Want to get your thought on Nelson Jr.'s potential. I know you hate player comparisons, but he has a similar build to Horn and Gilmore. If he can get better 40 time on record feels like he has that type of ceiling. You know, I'm not going to count it out because some people thought Gilmore was a safety. Some people thought Horn was a safety. Horn's speed was for whatever reason questioned. Um I I believe though, it, it, as from an evaluation standpoint, you know, he's 5'11 and 5'8, 197 pounds. He's going to get too big. I mean, Philadelphia kid probably hadn't been in the weight room a whole lot, not like he will be in college. He's going to get, I think he's going to be like a 5'11, 215 pound safety, kind of like Antoine Smith was after they moved him over there. Maybe a Willie Offord type, that kind of guy. Maybe even linebacker, big backer. Now, those guys go Devontae Holliman, if you will. Those guys go to the NFL, don't get me wrong. Good. South Carolina's had a lot of good players like that. But to me, that's what he is. I think he's a hell of a football player. Uh, You know, South Carolina's in the Southeastern Conference, so, you know, is a 4-8-3 a concern? Yes, but it's, you know, he's going to need to run that three or four times for, you know, speed to kind of become a big concern, to be honest. Uh, I remind everybody all the time, Justin Ross at a Nike camp, Clemson receiver, you see him run past all those Alabama defensive backs in the national championship game in 2018. Yeah. He ran like four, six, eight, four, six, nine. <laughs> so, you, you know, and Justin's much faster. So sometimes guys can't run it. So um, all that good stuff. So that that's what I think about him. I, I think if I had to project him, I'd be a little hesitant to project him at corner, but like I said, those things can go wrong sometimes. So, I appreciate the uh, email. The other one's also, how is this a coincidence? Did he go How did he go down? And yeah, well, I, I, Cartwright, I'll say this. He did go down according to 24/ seven. They need to own that. The number you were sending me is the uh, the composite though. Oh point The what whatever, whatever, that's composite. Um, when it's just like a, a solid number, like 94, 93, that, that's 24-7. So there you go. All right. Inside the gamecocks at gmail.com to get into the iHub Consulting Mailbag anytime you want. Also tweet to at the Vicksburg pod and please follow that Twitter account. Um, all right. I think that's it for today. Lots to talk about. Dennis, gracious. Lots of topical things uh, about, you know, expansion and things like that. You know, recruiting rankings, a lot of my favorite subjects. But uh, we're going to get into it and talk about the um, the rest of the uh, you know preview for the season coming up soon. Um, all that good stuff right here on the Inside the Game Guys podcast. All right, JC Sherbert signing off. Everyone, have a wonderful Thursday. Talk to you soon.